With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Max Verstappen, what a weekend for you, Max. Another win from pole in front of your Dutch fans. Just please sum up what this means to you. Yeah, it was um, not a straightforward race, you know, so then I think it's extra rewarding to, to win the race. And so we're going to get racing again. Hamilton ahead of Verstappen. Surprisingly, we had a really good restart and then with the extra top speed we have over Mercedes, I could get a run into turn one. And away we go then. We're going green and Verstappen has got a decent toe behind Hamilton and Verstappen is going wheel to wheel down the main straight with Hamilton and Verstappen is ahead going into turn one. Lewis Hamilton's been overtaken by Max Verstappen right at the start. It's nice, of course, to see all the crowd and, and the craziness and I appreciate it a lot. Of course, this was a very special weekend for me to see uh, all of these fans come out and support me. It's been incredible. For the second year running here at Zandvoort, Max Verstappen wins the Dutch Grand Prix. What an absolutely brilliant Dutch Grand Prix. The atmosphere was fantastic before we started. And then, well, the race from lap 44 onwards served up an absolute peach. Now, we've got no Damon and Natalie this weekend. So... This week's F1 Nation is a very international cast. I'm delighted to say that we're joined by, can we call him local hero, Allard Kalf from Via Play? <laughs> yeah, yeah, call me whatever you like. <laughs> yeah. We've got Julian Biot from Auto Hebdo. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> and we've got Christian Minat from motorsportmagazine.com. Hello. Now, guys, what a phenomenal race today. Allard, let's start with you. How do you sum up what we've just seen? Electric, fantastic. Uh, Mind-blowing. Um, I thought after last year it couldn't be any better, but it could. I mean, the weather was great, the atmosphere was great, and the race was actually a lot better than last year's race because of all the action. So for me, it's just being Dutch today makes me proud, not just because of Max, but because of everything. And also, you know, I just I just love it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a festival atmosphere, hasn't yeah. it? We're joined now by the winning team principal, Christian Horner. Christian, that was a phenomenal win. Do you think you had that one covered come what may? If, if there had been no safety cars and it had been a straight fight between you guys and Mercedes on a one-stopper, and as it obviously panned out as well? I generally think we did. I think the, the two-stop was just a quicker race today. And uh, I think, you know, had it played out on the standard race, I think Mercedes, we'd have conceded track position to Lewis, but his tyres, those hard tyres would have been pretty old by the time we'd have got onto another set of softs. So I think the pass that Max made in the end, he would have done anyway. Um, but as it turned out, it was strategically quite a tricky race with a VSC. We had to convert our strategy. We went on to the hard tire. Um, and then obviously the full safety car at the end there to stop Max from the lead of the Grand Prix in front of this crowd. I was surprised Mercedes stopped George because that gave us a a clean shot at Lewis on a, with a tyre advantage. So uh, 
uh, and then Max got the move done early and and uh, we controlled the rest of the race. So a, a, a phenomenal performance. So do you think that buffer, had George not stopped, would have caused you enough problems? Because if you look at the way Max actually got past Lewis, he seemed like he was uh, I unstoppable. I don't think anything would have stopped him today. It might have slowed him down a bit, but I was just surprised strategically they didn't have a, you know, keep George out there as a rear gunner to try and, you know, win. Lewis a bit of time while they were trying to get his tires back up to temperature, but uh, it worked out well for us. And um, you know, with all the pressure of this massive crowd, I mean, Max was uh, phenomenal this weekend. He uh, again made another big step as a world champion this year. You know, he's cool, he's collected. I mean, the amount of pressure and expectation on him this weekend, and he's just kept it in a bubble. You know, he's he's just kept working with his team and uh, managed to you know block out all the distraction and. The pole lap yesterday was sensational, particularly after losing a lot of Friday. So his recovery was 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 absolutely incredible. I'm sure, it's a team effort, and and you have helped keep him in that bubble. Have you done things differently just to protect him from all of the commitments and the razzmatazz? Things to a minimum to keep him focused on the job, and it's just another race. Just a, there's just a lot more expectation at this race. So, uh, you know, we've just kept you know distraction to him to a minimum, and just kept him in the in the zone of working with a group of people that he's he's here to deliver with. Yeah, uh, Christian, um, Toto told us that their simulation said if there wouldn't have been any VSC or safety car, you would have come out um, about eight seconds behind Lewis with Max and would have catched him between two to six laps to the end. What did your simulation say? Our simulation said we beat him by 15 seconds. So there was already so, optimistic yesterday in qualifying. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe he needs to relook at the numbers. Christian, just final one. You can win at Spa last weekend. You can win here at a very different racetrack. Are we going to see another 2013 when Sebastian Vettel won every race after the summer break? Is there anything that can stop you? Yeah, there's many things that can go wrong at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, nothing's done until mathematically it's done. We're in a great position. But, um, you know, we just got to keep our heads down. And, you know, the constructors has as much weight to us as the drivers this year. And, you know, we're in a good position in both. But you just got to keep taking it one race at a time. Christian, many thanks for your time. Great job, great job today, thank you. Let's just break down what Christian said there, guys. I thought it was interesting that Christian called out Mercedes and said, surprise, they pitted George because the buffer would have at least made Max's, Max's day a little bit harder. No, because Toto, I think we asked a similar question to Toto during his press call, and he said that, um, the, uh, the tire advantage Max would have had just would have meant that he would have cleared the, the two Mercedes maybe in two laps instead of one. And then maybe there, were, there was the risk that both Mercedes would start tumbling down and maybe um, under threat from, from Leclerc and others. So it's better to split strategies and, and, and give the guy in front track position because, the, again, this is a difficult track to overtake. So, but I think George actually requested new tires, soft tires. So he shows some initiative there. I don't know exactly what happened with the, it, these things go so fast. It's so easy to second guess, and uh, you know we're always right um, after the race. But I think they, they made the right call in splitting the strategy and giving uh, and leaving Hamilton uh, on track and uh, and in front. And with this discussion, you can see that everything that happened with Ferrari during the last weeks or the last races is just hindsight is a beautiful thing. Everyone can be wrong in the strategy. I think probably Red Bull has, has the best strategy team. They take brave decisions and are uh, right most of the time. Now, uh, Julian, look, your read on everything that happened there. And, and do you think Max had it covered come what may? 
I'm not so sure because, as uh, Christian just mentioned, I think the simulation Mercedes had it. It was it was going to be touch and go between Lewis and Max at the end. Max would have had uh, fresher tires, obviously, but here it's uh, you know notorious that it's a difficult track to overtake. Despite the extended extended sorry DRS done, which helped because we've seen we've seen uh, overtaking moves down into turn one, but it would have been a a thrilling conclusion. But it was still a thrilling conclusion with the VSE and the safety car of course and, uh, and and Mercedes decided to split strategy to give Lewis track position and because also his tires his medium tires were like almost super fresh only four or you know five lap balls so why why would you change because if you change you're going to lose track position and you're not in Silverstone like we saw Ferrari blundered with, with Charles Leclerc earlier this year for instance here it's so hard to overtake that uh, it made sense to take that gamble and, and, and Total told us that it was um, they were willing to take risk because they thought the, the win was on. It was going to be super tight, but the win was on. But but Max was was brilliant, you know, whatever happened because he had it, you know, under control. His restart was just just so beautiful. No DRS, no nothing, super smooth on the outside, no tangling, no nothing. I was quite surprised. Uh, Alard, I don't know if you were as well. I was quite surprised that Lewis went as early as he did at that yes. restart. I thought he might have waited <laughs> until further down the pit straight. Well, we had this morning we had the Formula 2 race where uh, the leader waited until basically start-finish. And I thought he would, well, maybe not there, but I mean, at least there's two things you know. There's no way you're going to get past before the first corner. And the other thing you know, it's going to be chaos behind you. So I would have started a lot later than he did. And I don't agree on the on the white tyre, the, 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 the Mercedes. I think the Mercedes simulation is definitely wrong because I don't think they were going to make it to the end on that tyre, no way. I mean, I was talking on the grid to three teams and they all said steer clear of the white tyre because it does look good, but it will hit a cliff and then it's much sooner than you think. So it's, it's, I was actually surprised they went for it. Even Red Bull, I thought, what are they doing on the white tyre? Because I was, you know, I was told it was a basic no-go. Well, it was their pace on the white tyre, the Merck's pace on the white tyre that got them in the game at all. Yeah, I, th I think that was a surprising part of this race because exactly. so that, that many was, nobody thought that was going to happen. But then how long were they going to last at that pace? That's the big question mark. And I think it's, it's probably the opposite to, to Hungary, because if you remember what happened in Hungary, everyone was blaming Ferrari uh, for trying the hard tire. And here, before we went into this race, it looked like it would be the same. I was talking to Helmut Marko on Friday after the practice sessions and he said, yeah, we just wanted to get rid of the hard tire on Friday. And now it seemed like it worked. And then I'm not 100% with you. I, I'm not, we, we never will know how it would have panned out. And it, would have, it would have been a fight, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that was very, very surprising how they switched on the hard tire. It didn't take too long. It lasted, lasted pretty well, so, but we don't know how long it would have lasted. Now, look, Alard, I know you haven't got all day. You're, you've got the rucksack on, the bike is over there. I, just before you go, I just want your perspective. You, you've been in, around, in and around Formula One for many decades. Just the impact that Max Verstappen is having on Dutch motorsport. That's, what, that's my question to you. Well, I'm trying to find something to, to relate to, to you as a Brit. Um, and I, I can't really find anything at the moment. I mean, Johan Cruyff, one of the best football players ever, had an impact on this country like Max is doing. I mean, just think, three, over 300,000 people 
here this weekend because of one man, because of his his race wins, his world championship, his attitude, his personality, gets all this going. I mean, I just, I just, I am absolutely baffled. I don't know about you. I mean, and it's one guy. I mean, yeah. I've, I've went through the Michael Schumacher, Mania in England, Michael Schumacher in Germany. That was big, but we're only 17 million in this country. Do you think this is bigger than the Schumacher Mania in Germany? Well, if you percentage-wise, I would say yes, but yeah. Because Germany is a, a lot, I mean, Michael was just, you know, yeah. I don't think it's bigger yet, but it has all the potential and writing on the wall, doesn't it? Yeah, he is a superstar. There's no doubt about that. And, and the funny thing is, um, early 90s, we had his dad who arrived. And I, I kept saying, Jos was Max's, the Max of his generation. Eh? I think Jos was like 52 races before he went to Brazil and raced at Benetton. I mean, Jos was on the podium after on his seventh or eighth Grand Prix. So Jos was like the rising star. And even then in Holland, Jos was a superstar and there was like this whole thing. It's just, we didn't have the people running the track thinking, well, maybe we should capitalize on that. And maybe, maybe times, I mean, times are changing and it's all different, but his dad was like a megastar and his, this is just like, they just carried on. I mean, the name for Stappen in Holland is just, I don't know, it's, 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 it's brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant indeed. Well, look, Alain, thank what? You. what do you say? What do you say? It's just like Pilot in France. <laughs> and Minat in Germany, right? <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, you think about, I mean, sports players, I mean, sports people always, there is always something, eh? You want to, but but think about, a, you know, Roger Federer for, for, for uh, Switzerland, eh? you know, things like that. They're really iconic. And Max, well, I'm not going to say he's iconic yet, but he will be. <laughs> he's getting that way, isn't he? Look, Alod, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. No, thank, thank you, you very, much. very much for your time. So, guys, that was an ice-cool Max Verstappen today, wouldn't you say? I like it, ice-cool every, well, Just everything that was thrown at him, him and that team are just working in harmony, aren't they? Sometimes we forget that Max is only 24. I mean, turning 25 in, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but he's been around already for eight years. But he, he keeps on growing, he keeps on finding new ways to, to be more efficient and smooth and not getting angry. I, I guess when you have the RB18, you know, it, it, it helps <laughs> stay, stay very calm and very, very confident because that, that car, maybe in qualifying, the Ferrari or the Mercs can get, uh, can get close. And we, we saw what happened in, uh, on, on Saturday, like the top three were covered by less, uh, less than a tenth. In a normal race circumstances, no, no one can touch them at the, at the moment. So. But definitely Max you know, keeps finding uh, new steps. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, high school, very, very relaxed. Uh, Dr. Marco told us that the outside pressure, the three uh, 300,000 people, it's, it's water off a duck's back, yeah. isn't it? it exactly, really exactly. Is. So it's, yeah. this is very impressive. And just look at the gap between Verstappen and Checo Perez. Yeah, that's um, something we've seen quite often recently. Um, Checo was pretty uh, strong at the start of the season. Um, Max didn't like the understeer of the RB18 so much, but he, I think they developed, I wouldn't say they developed the car for Max, I would say they just made the car faster and Max is able to um, capitalize on that more than Checo. So, there have been some stories that Checo was trying a different specification in Spa and doing this uh, this weekend as well. And, but I think it has nothing to do with that. Uh, it's just that Max knows how to drive the RB18 now. Um, it fits his driving style a bit better. There's our friend of the show, Alex Albon, behind us. 
actually, Alex, can I say, last week you were saying it's going to be difficult at Zandvoort and you were looking ahead right. to Monza. So just as our regular Albono slot now uh, on the pod, just are you surprised by the pace? Um, I was actually, I have to be honest with you. I, I felt like it was going to be a tough, tougher race than it actually was. The wind died down today, which plays a big part in for our performance to get us closer to the midfield. And, um, you know, without the VSCs and the... I still don't understand this whole Alpha Yuki thing. He was in, he was out. I passed him like three or four times on track. I think we could have been, maybe not points, but fighting for the point. Um, instead, it's P12. It's one of them annoying ones. It's, it's, it happens a lot for us where everything was executed well, we did everything well, but nothing. <laughs> so off we go to Monza. Off we go to Monza, and, and you think you'll be, at least on paper, you should be stronger there. On paper, yes. I don't want to make it seem like this, uh, oh, guys, if we don't get points, it's going to be disappointing. Um, but that's it. We're, we're, okay. we're expected to do better than here, and if we already qualified, finished P12 here... What's, what <laughs> kind of music do you like? Because I feel that we might need a jingle music. for the Alex Albon slot now that we uh, need every week. OK, OK. Um, a song. Um, I like Angels by Robbie Williams. Okay, I'm right. a karaoke man. They actually did make me, when I was at Red Bull, they did make me sing it um, on a bus, uh, like a team bus. Was it embarrassing? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that stuff. Uh, that was my initiation. So, uh, oh, crikey. Yeah. Well, look, very well done today. I know it wasn't points. And uh, look forward to uh, celebrating another point or two at Monza Alex, next week. I look forward to being <laughs> on the podcast again. <laughs> Alex, great stuff. Thank you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Let's talk Ferrari. Charles Leclerc, first of all, he starts the race second, finishes third. On paper, not too bad a result, but I think he'll be very disappointed with how it panned out, just in terms of raw pace of his racing car. It's it's hard to analyze with all the crazy stuff that happens, and I almost forgot what happened during the first 45 laps of the race. Of course, I remember the terrible pit stuff of of, uh, of Carlos Sainz. But oh yeah, no, he did pit right before the VSC when there was this uh, indecision when Yuki Tsunoda stopped and then uh, got back going again. But again, it felt like Ferrari, you know, jumped to the gun just. You know, that big too quick, too, too early, if you compare to what Red Bull and Mercedes did. They, I don't know if they expected Yuki to, to go back out on track or whatever, but yeah, the, the end result was that, again, Ferrari was a bit, just a bit out of sync, and it always seemed that way with them. They, for me, it's more a question of confidence. 
they don't have the confidence, so they, they're always second-guessing what they're doing. And when you have that, you know, that moment of hesitation, the moment has gone and, and you end up making a mistake. Christian, what did you make of the pace of Ferrari today? It seemed good on the softer compounds, not so good on the harder compounds, but overall lacking to both Mercedes and Red Bull, is that fair? I would say yes, but somehow it was expected because if you look at the Mercedes qualifying pace, even though I'm, I'm not uh, with Toto's prediction yesterday, if uh, Sergio wouldn't have spun in the last corner because his prediction was pretty brave yesterday as well that Lewis could have uh, fought for the for the pole position. Uh, I disagree with that, but Mercedes was really close on one lap, and we know if they are close on one lap, they are usually probably a bit faster in race pace. So. Um, that was a funny story yesterday. You remember the press conference. Um, our French colleague Fred Ferry asked um, the three drivers um, if Mercedes could be a threat in, uh, in, in the race with their pace. And Max just answered with one word, no. Um, that would have been really funny if they would have had a, a nice battle today. But the Ferrari drivers, they knew that Mercedes would be uh, a bigger threat to them. So for me, it was not so surprising that they had problems with Mercedes as well but you, you could look at it both ways okay they had problems with Mercedes but on the other side they were so much closer than in Spa last week so yeah they have lost out a bit in the development battle against Red Bull probably also against Mercedes but they are not as bad as they might look so what about the pit stop I mean Julian you've already commented on on Ferrari strategically but when Carlos Sainz came into the pits, the tyres weren't ready. How is that possible? I know it happened to Red Bull and uh, Danny Rick lost, uh, lost the race in Monaco in 2016, but how is that possible that a uh, tyre is missing? Maybe Christian knows. <laughs> yeah, we were talking to Mattia Binotto after the race and he tried to explain it. Um, I tried. <laughs> they tried, yeah. yeah they, they saw um, that Mercedes was preparing a pit stop as well and they um, feared that they would undercut Carlos Sainz. So what they did is they just reacted or tried to react and pit Carlos earlier so to avoid the undercut. But I completely agree. This is, this is probably one of the biggest mistakes Ferrari has done this season because you know how long it takes to prepare the pit stop and then you should know when your driver is in, in turn, X, Y, Z, whatever, we cannot do it anymore. Isn't this the point, though, that all teams make strategic errors? We've seen yes. Mercedes uh, had an issue at Monaco with Bottas, do you remember? Then, of course, Red Bull with Danny Rick, and I remember Weber at the Nürburgring back in the day mm -hmm. as well. Every team has issues, yeah. but you learn from them, and it shouldn't happen again, at least not in the near future. Yeah, exactly, it can happen like five years later because you have like 100 but races. But the issue seems to me that we are getting some kind of issue in the pit lane or on the pit wall at Ferrari every race. And that is what is so frustrating for them and for fans of Ferrari as well. It feels like they have a, a huge monkey on their back which is all like a dark cloud hovering over their heads all the time. And they, they can't, they are not in a, let's say, in a serene environment like even when they make the right call it's almost as if they are wondering are we making the right call and then then you lose momentum you lose just uh, you know this sharp decision that we see with Red Bull or, or Mercedes that when something happens it feels like they have a plan for every scenario A B C D whatever happens that Red Bull they don't even think Ferrari overthinks and, and you, you say Mattia tried to um, to explain what happened and you use the word react Ferrari is always reacting. You should not be reacting. You should take the initiative or you should not 
overthink. You just do your thing and because you need to be confident in, your, in yourself when you do that. And it feels like for me, the main issue with Ferrari is confidence. Because the people are, you know, in F1, people are super qualified and skilled. But it's more like the, we go back to the human side, which is fascinating. But just go one week back, they were brave with the decision they took with Charles Leclerc for the fastest lap. It didn't work out. So the execute, yeah, but confidence can also thwart your execution. It's not only your decision making, but it's also you take you might take the right decision, but then if you execute it poorly, it's the, the same end result. Yeah, I think it's a different. It's a really difficult topic because from the outside, they're looking a lot worse than they are. Also on the pit wall. Imagine you are on the pit wall and you have to take every single decision. So probably there's there are too many wrong decisions at Ferrari, but yes. for every wrong decision there are like 10 right decisions and these 10 right decisions we don't see. The other thing I wanted to say on the Ferrari strategy is that you say okay it, it happens it can happen once but not twice or three times or whatever. But then they are not the same mistakes. They are all a bit different. So I'm not trying to, uh, no, but, uh, I'm not a Ferrari spokesperson, but uh, I think it's easy from outside, it's easy in hindsight, and it's not always that straightforward if you have to take the decision, but surely they are not up, uh, up to the Red Bull level. I absolutely agree, they're not the same mistakes, but the process that leads to the decision making, I think, is the same. Hmm. We all come back to that confidence thing for me. Individually, phenomenal brains I think you may be right maybe it's a you get to a point don't you where you think help we have a phenomenal racing car this year and suddenly actually we're in danger of being caught by Mercedes in the constructors championship who are only 30 points behind just remember how excited we were after Australia this year when Charles Leclerc dominated and we all genuinely thought that Ferrari were going to have a proper shot at this championship with Charles and I guess it's, it's not happening and I, they need to, to just reboot and start again. I think it's gone for this year now. So I, would, I don't want to see Ferrari do anything uh, from, a, from a development point of view that's going to scupper 2023 in any way. I think they now need to focus on 23. They've learned a lot this year and need to focus on bringing it home next year. That has to be the goal. Yeah, they should do like what Nico Rosberg did in 2015. You know, you win. The last three rounds, that was the final three races for Nico, but try to win as many races as you can. So you build up that mo nice momentum heading into the off season and then you come back, you know, and you try to, to pick up where you left off. Yep. An error-free last seven races is what Ferrari need and then yes. challenge for the championship next year. Right. Gosh, the, the party is kicking off. So I'm just looking at everything that's going on in this Red Bull Energy station. David Coulthard is here. Jos Verstappen is here. Just very quickly, Jos, you were the boss back in the day. This is Jos Not Verstappen. <laughs> I'll just do Max. <laughs> need... I'm happy with it. Is this bigger than last year, do you think? I don't know. I think a boat is very big. I mean, uh, but I think this race was more exciting with all the safety cars and virtual safety cars. So. Uh, I mean, it was exciting till, you know, till 10 laps before the end. You must be very proud. Always am. Thanks, Jos. Oh, Jos the boss. Jos the boss. Now, that was the Red Bull party, the Max Verstappen yeah. party yeah. Uh, leaving the energy station. They all fly Air Max. They'll be flying Air Max yeah. back, back to Monaco. Okay. Uh, that's what I've learned. Are you flying Air Max? Or? No, sadly not. <laughs> I've tried very hard. But look at him. I'm just watching him go away. People asking for selfies. What we were saying earlier about him being 
very cool, very patient. I hope he doesn't get too kind, because I like Angry Max. I like, I like oh, Fiery I, Max. I think we're going to get Angry <laughs> and Fiery Max on the racetrack forever. That's, that's no, yeah, him in a car, isn't it? He, he has mellowed. But let's look further down the top 10 now. And there's a man called Fernando Alonso in P6. Now, he started the race 13th. He's as guaranteed as you can get in this sport to anyone who's just going to maximize what the car can do. If the car is good enough for X, he will deliver X time and time he and time again. He will deliver more than X. Because when we saw him in the, in the mix zone af after the, the race, he said, our simulation, our best, most optimistic simulation was P9 from P13 on the grid. Under promise, over deliver. Yeah, but Fernando is the king at that. Every lap he is doing is the best of his life. Yeah, 120%. <laughs> but tell me, how, how did Alonso end up P6? What was the key? Was it that very early pit stop to the hard time? Yeah, I, I think that was one very important part of it. And um, I mean, he had a good start. Then uh, the pace was good. He overtook both Alfa Tauri, if I'm right. Uh, he was in really good position and then just pulled the trigger with that early stop to the hard tire. And the hard tire, he was, I think he was one of the first ones who tried the hard tire and it worked out pretty well. And we were talking about tires earlier. It wasn't, wasn't no guarantee that the hard tire would work that well. So good race, good start, nice uh, maneuvers at the, against the Alpha Tauris, came to the pits at the right time, took the right tire. So, and then the rest of the race was, was pretty decent at least as well. Look, a word on the performance of Alpine, because Esteban Ocon coming home in the points as well. The yes, team nine. now um, have a 24-point lead over McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. It all seems to be coming together, at least on track for Alpine. Right from the beginning, the performance, the raw performance, has been you know, always there and thereabouts, depending on some weekends were you know, harder that, than others. But the car, on some weekends, was almost on par with the Mercedes, so like a you know, third fastest car on the grid, but, which means they can improve from where they were last year. And that car seems to be working on every kind of yeah. track. McLaren was hoping that Sanford is better for them because it was a disaster for them in, in, in Spa. The, the Alpine worked out pretty well, so they expected to be ahead of them here in, in, in Sanford, but... Um, at least in, in qualifying it was the case, but in the race, Alpine was faster, executed the race well. And Alpine has two very solid drivers, very, you know, there is not a big discrepancy. I don't know what's happening with, you know, Daniel Ricciardo has been, you know, been troubling for the past 18 months, but at least, let's say, Ocon and Alonso are sort of on par, depending on, on which weekend we're talking about. So, so you have two drivers scoring maybe not massive points each, but at least scoring consistently every every weekend. So that's also helping a lot. Look, Norris was once again, I thought, phenomenal this weekend. Great in qualifying mm. to P7. He said he absolutely nailed it. Christian, I would love to get your thoughts on what you think has happened to Daniel Ricciardo. Where's the pace gone? If I would know that, I probably wouldn't be sitting here because McLaren tried really everything with Daniel. And Daniel tried everything, but they just didn't didn't have a conclusion they reached at that end and that's why um, Daniel is leaving at the end of the year. this weekend was a bit strange because I think he was pretty okay pretty had a pretty pretty decent pace in qualifying was very unlucky because uh, Lance Stroll 
uh, put some gravel on the track and um, he was caught out by that as Sebastian as well in qualifying. So that's why he was out in Q1, looked a lot worse than he actually was compared to, to Lando in qualifying. But then in the race, it was just another disaster for him. So I have absolutely, absolutely no idea what happened to him. And it's, it's a real shame and I, I have no explanation. And I was really surprised to see him like that because he was so good at Red Bull. He was not on the level of Max, but close. And when he joined Renault, he needed a bit of time, but not a lot. And then he was so super good. Yeah, um, 2020 was, was a great season. I, I thought 2018 was a bit underwhelming, but maybe the car was not, you know, as good as it had been uh, earlier, earlier in 2018 with uh, Carlos and Nico Hülkenberg. But then in 2020, he just completely destroyed it Esteban. Was, no, no, he was a top five driver for me, top yeah. five talent. So it's, I don't know, we, we forget that we're dealing, because we're so used to talk about cars, upgrades, whatever, but we're do, dealing with human beings. And Formula One is the kind of sport where you cannot afford any slip up. Like if you take football, if you miss the, you know, you can always recover during the game. It's like, whereas in, in, in Formula One, if you miss your start, maybe you lose five places and, and your race is cooked. Whereas uh, I, I struggle to find any other sports where you have to be on it all the time. And if you are just slightly off, you're like, you know, half a second is, is massive in Formula One, but for us, it's, it's nothing. So. You know, it could be, I don't want to say it's a mental thing or whatever, but we're dealing with just human emotion. Sometimes it's irrational. The interesting thing is that the regulations changed so much between last year and this year. So he had two completely different cars at McLaren. So it, it would be a bit easier to explain if it would have been just a carryover from last year, the car, and you would say, okay, it's the DNA of the car, which doesn't suit his driving style, whatever. Perhaps there's still a DNA in a McLaren car, which translated into the 2022 generation as well but still it's so different to last year and that's why we just have absolutely no explanation what happened to him let's hope he can uh, end his time at mclaren on a high uh, i know he's always been phenomenal he loves suzuka like so many other drivers it would just be great to see him return to uh, one of those tracks that he loves and, and get a result before he leaves. Look, final thoughts on the race today. Uh, Lance Stroll, P10. I very much felt he had the edge over Sebastian Vettel all weekend. Qual got into Q3, uh, brought it home in 10th as well. That car definitely races once again better than it qualifies, that Aston Martin. Yeah, but they tend to fly under, you know, a bit under the radar because we were so caught up with, with what's happening at the front side of that. Somehow Lance Stroll, you look at the, the rankings, you're like, oh, it's just like yesterday in quality. He's in Q3, actually. You didn't realize that he doesn't strike you right away. But, uh, he, you know, when, he, was he, when he's on it, he can, be, he can be a pretty fast driver and, a, you know, pretty good racer when, uh, when he's on, on a fine weekend. And uh, I don't know uh, how the, the end of the season will, will pan out for them, but, but surely they, they have been knocking at the points on a, on a more consistent basis compared. But they, they, they keep scoring very little, you know, whereas Alfa Romeo had, uh, had big scores at the start of the season, Haas as well, so they are paying their very slow start to the season. Well, Julian, they're only four points behind Alfa Tauri in the World Championship. Now, hey, we're not talking about the big positions here. They're battling for eighth place in the Constructors' Championship, but they are edging closer to, yeah. to Alfa Tauri, who themselves are only five points behind Haas. Mm. So if, if Aston Martin were to continue this trajectory, you could see them P7 by the end of the season. Oh, yeah, it's all very, very close. I'd say the, 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 the top three, maybe the, the, after Mercedes uh, kind of, I wouldn't say messed up the new regulations, but they are the, the big losers, I'd say, uh, at least at the front. But from, from P3 to P10, 
after five races, I know I was talking with Günther Steiner earlier this weekend, he said, when was the last time you saw the 10 teams scoring points after five races? So it's all like super close, and it's going to be uh, that way uh, until the end of the season. But, but really, then now that we have the pecking order is a bit more established, it's going to be harder, unless we have a crazy race, which can always happen. Uh, it, it will be hard on merit for Aston to catch up because at the start of the season, Alpha, especially Alpha, I don't know when was the last time they scored points. Canada, Canada they had a double a points finish in Canada. Yeah, so it's, it's been a while. And Haas has a, uh, had a strong start, then a strong summer, but then they have ups and downs. Whereas Aston Martin has been fairly consistent over the past few months, but it's always for little, little points. Yeah, I wonder if that's what appeals to Fernando Alonso, Christian. The reason, one of the reasons he's going there is that he can see the new factory. He's got the contract that he wants, all of that kind of thing. But actually, they are now making progress. You, you want to be riding a, a wave as it gets bigger, don't you? You don't want it to be fading out. And I wonder if they're now getting some momentum. Yeah, the trend is your friend. and But I'm not 100% sure if that's the most appealing part for Fernando there. Um, I mean... What the, do you think is the most appealing part? To be completely honest, to be away from Alpine. And I don't mean it as, as mean as it sounds, not against the team, but I think he just feels like he wasn't treated like he should have been treated in all the contractual stuff. And especially with what we know now after all the Piastri saga, um, you probably can understand him even, even better. And um, he knows that from the sporting side, it's probably, I mean, it doesn't make such a huge difference because he knows that he will he won't fight for the championship with uh, Alpine next season. He won't fight for the championship with Aston Martin. And then um, he's uh, the world champion in explaining the world of, of sports to us when he always says, it doesn't matter if you finish second, third, 10th, 15 or whatever, as long as you're not winning, it doesn't matter where you finish. And that's exactly his thinking behind. And if he doesn't feel comfortable at Alpine, which seems like, I, I, not with the team itself, probably more with the leadership and he doesn't feel like um, he gets what he should deserve. Right, let's talk about Oscar uh, Piastri then. Can we get the French view first of all in terms of what happened, what is the feeling in France about Alpine first losing Fernando Alonso and then Oscar Piastri as well? I think to them they thought okay maybe the contract was not 100% watertight or legally binding or whatever but they felt since Oscar had started fulfilling some of the provisions in the contract like doing simulator work sorry uh, testing with the 2021 car his involvement sort of made the contract de facto official now I'm not a lawyer I'm pretty sure this is a weak argument uh, but to them there was no issue until McLaren came, you know, with a big offer and then realized, oh, maybe actually I'm a, you know, I'm a free agent, so I'm able to, to engage in talks. Now, Oscars, because there are always two sides of the story, so I don't want to say, you know, I'm siding with Alpine or siding with McLaren. It's pretty bad for Alpine. I, I, I want to make that clear. It's very, very bad. But they thought that, you know, things were going well until McLaren came with the offer. But it, it, it's true that it's a, it's a pretty bad look for for Alpine, and uh, as I asked Otmar in, in your press conference, how can you lose a, a superstar like Fernando and a top prospect like Oscar in, in 24 hours? Just, at some point, where does the buck stop, you know? Do you think in Otmar's defense, Otmar Safnau's defense, he only arrived at the team in March, and a lot of this 
was well underway by the time he got there? Um, I think so, because if you listen to Fernando, when um, he was defending his uh, move to Aston Martin and why he didn't inform Otmar, he actually explained why he didn't inform Otmar and why Otmar had to learn from the press release of Aston Martin. He informed Luca Di Meo and he informed Laurent Rossi before the press release from Aston Martin came out. And why did he inform these two guys and not Otmar? Because he was dealing with them on the contractual side. So I think that tells quite a story in, in the whole Piastri thing and that Otmar is the poor guy who has to sit in your press conference. <laughs> from the outside, it could look as they try to play, you know, on both tables and they ended up losing on, on both sides, trying to casual Fernando Alonso and, and have uh, Piastri place because Piastri had a deal or had a seat fitting at, at Williams. I've been told that he had a seat, uh, seat fitting at Williams. He was happy to go there and learn the ropes, just like George. That's what I've been told. Maybe it's, you know, I'm sure Oscar and Piastri's management uh, maybe have di you know, differing uh, uh, opinions on that. But he was happy to do that and learn the ropes like uh, George Russell did before, you know, starring in, at Mercedes. And, uh, but it all collapsed when uh, Zach and uh, Zach Brown, or McLaren, they say McLaren, I don't know if it's Zach Brown per se, but McLaren made a, a, a bold and, and big offer. We was at first, I think, a reserve driver and then a race seat because they didn't know if, if Ricardo was willing to, um, to, let's say, to shorten his, his uh, three years there uh, at working. So uh, Alpine was, uh, they, they understand that they lost on legal grounds, but for them, it's technicalities that the Piastri clan managed to find uh, after the, the, the McLaren offer came on the table. It's an interesting point that you make about McLaren because they are taking a risk on Piastri. Oh, yeah. We know no, he's no, good, yeah. Yeah. F3 champion, F, F2 champion in, in consecutive years, but he's yet to drive in a competitive Formula One practice session, let alone qualifying in a race. Is he the next Lewis Hamilton? Could be. But equally, he might just be someone who's very good. We, we don't yet know. So I think credit to McLaren that they're taking this risk. Yeah, I mean, if you remember, Stoffel Vendon was supposed to be a Formula One world champion after winning, I don't know how many championships in the feeder series. They put him in match. He ended up against Fernando, which is all, you know, your, your worst friends or your best enemy when you start in Formula One. But I and think that, that's why I want to praise Esteban Ocon <laughs> for doing so well against a, a guy like him because he can really outshine you both on and off track. And I think Esteban is holding his ground. Uh, that's a very you know. good point about Ocon. I think this is a very different McLaren to the yes, one course, that yeah, Stoffel van Dorn was getting involved with. Much that friendlier, was. much more fun. Yeah, but they still didn't get uh, Daniel to work there. Yes, indeed, yeah. And, but I think it says quite a lot about the team that they take their responsibility as well. Andrea Seidel said, yeah, we didn't make it work. Yeah. And then at the same time, they say they showed that they are a good team for rookies because with Leno it worked pretty well. Yeah, but if you look, Sergio Perez didn't work out. Kevin Magnussen didn't work out. Stoffel Vendor didn't work out. All guys that were in the McLaren Young Driver program or sort of. So, and Lando is really the first guy to have really uh, pan out and, uh, and be successful with the team. So there is no, no guarantee, especially when the guy has never raced yep. a single kilometer. But, but, but he got a good education from, from Alpine. Well, <laughs> oh yeah. I, 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 was, I was happy enough. I, I, I attended sure uh, one of these uh, testing days because they were testing in, in Austria, the Red Bull ring. So and I was there the whole day. So I saw 
how much uh, effort they put in this program, <laughs> uh, which they probably regret now at Alpine. Um, but I will take the risk as well, to be honest. To, go, to come back to the original question, um, he's such a super talent, rookie in Formula 3, won the championship, did the same in Formula 2. Yeah, if someone like Oscar is on the market, you have to take the opportunity, no matter what. I oh, know, I agree, I agree. McLaren was perfectly right, but for sure, Oscar will be. I remember yesterday you were with, with Toto's uh, during his, his press call post qualifying. He said, uh, The boy better be quick. The boy better be quick because he has, I think, ruffled. I mean, the whole saga has ruffled a few feathers in the paddock and, uh, you know, constructors' programs, loyalty, integrity. Now we know a bit more, so it's not, you know, it's not. Case. And he and he better be quick for his own sake. Yeah, because of course. Lando because Norris, Norris is pretty quick. Lando yeah. Norris is and very he, quick. And he's uh, you know the king of walking. He's been there. He's been uh, say, uh, mentored by the team. So it's going to be very hard environment for him. My, to begin my observations of Oscar, having worked very occasionally with him in, when he was in Formula Two, is that he's very laid back, and I think that will help him. I think help him deal with the pressure, help him deal with any frustrations that will undoubtedly come his way. So I think he's. He's well equipped mentally, I think he's, and I think he's well equipped with with ability and talent because we've seen what he can do. But uh, what's happening at Alpha Tauri? Back at Canada, uh, Franz Tos told us emphatically that Pierre Gasly was going to be with the team in 2023. It seems now that it's all changed. Helmut Marco has said that Red Bull will release Pierre Gasly if Alpine meet the payment clauses that, that are required, the stipulations in the, in the release. And everything I'm hearing, Julian, our French correspondent here on F1 Nation, um, our Alp, is he their number one choice to replace Fernando Alonso? I think we can say that, but there are many factors yet to be assembled for, for that to happen. Many pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to happen, starting with, for instance, getting a super license to Colton Herta so he can replace him at AlphaTauri. Right, I need to stop you there. For, for listeners who don't know who Colton Herta is, um, he's a blindingly quick IndyCar driver who drove the 2021 McLaren in Portimao a couple of months ago, impressed the team. He wants to come over. He's 22 years old, very ambitious, but he doesn't yet have the 40 points he needs to get a super license. I think he's on 32. If, so if all things, yeah, go like like they are now, at the yeah. end of the season, he would be 32. So it would require the FIA to step in yeah. to allow him to get the 40 that he needs. Let's work on the assumption that that is going to happen. Is that will? The, the various bits of the jigsaw fall into place. If, if, if he gets the super license, Colton Herter will go alongside Yuki Tsunoda at Alpha Tauri and Pierre Gasly will go to Alpine. Is that what we think will happen? Is Yuki Tsunoda staying at Alpha Tauri? Because the Frostos was not <laughs> adamant during your press conference. I, th I think he will because I don't think they have someone in the wings. Although Liam Larson can be quite, you know, impressive on his days in Formula 2. But I don't think they have someone of that caliber behind. And maybe Yuki deserves a, a third year because, I mean, he, the speed is there. We, we saw it uh, again in Zenvoort, out, out qualifying Pierre Gasly, who is in a, in a bit of a strange, difficult uh, patch this, this season. Uh, and maybe, he, coming back to Gasly, maybe he needs a change of scenery and, and to progress because, no disrespect to AlphaTauri, but you're not supposed to stay more than three years at AlphaTauri. This is supposed to be a springboard to a bigger team. And clearly Alpine would represent 
it's still it's still a better proposition and a better car than the Alpha Tauri. So that would be the, the yeah most likely scenario if all again the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle fall, fall together. It's not it's not a done deal yet. Actually, one final thing: Mick Schumacher has. Do we think Mick will be in Formula One in 2023? That's another news story that's been doing the rounds uh, here in Zandvoort. Mick's future, he was very non-committal. What did he say to the, to the German press? They can't lose uh, Zeb and Mick the same day. It's going to be colossal catastrophe, as we say uh, <laughs> in Germany. Um, well, you, you ask what Mick said about his future, actually nothing, because he's never talking about his future. And what would you expect from a driver to say about his future? And, Everything we've learned the last weeks in Formula One is that it doesn't matter what they say about future and contracts because they're all lying to you. So it's oh, yeah. uh, because if you, if you think of what, what Daniel Ricciardo said that he's staying at, at McLaren, what McLaren said there. So has Mick done enough to stay in Formula One? I would say definitely yes. Um, not because I'm German, not because his name is Schumacher. I think just he's not outstanding, but he's really really good. And what are the other options? I mean, if if you would have someone of Oscar's caliber in, in Formula 2 or somewhere there you can put in the car, then probably you, you, you could discuss. But w what are the other options? I mean, we're talking about Daniel Ricciardo. Um, well, Ricciardo is being linked to the, the reserve drive at Mercedes for next year. Yeah. But I think, I think what would interest Daniel in that isn't the simulator work at Brackley at 2 o'clock in the morning <laughs> on a Friday night. It's the prospect of maybe Lewis Hamilton retiring and then him stepping in. But I... I'm not sure why Mercedes would go for Daniel on his current form when I think the moment Lewis Hamilton retires, they'll have pretty much every driver yeah. on the grid ringing them. Yeah, so um, that's that's the Daniel Ricciardo part. He said he's not too proud to be a reserve driver or whatever, Daniel, so that's his side, but I I wouldn't see him at Haas as, as perfect fit. So what, what is the other option for Haas then? Antonio Giovinazzi, he has had three years in Formula One already. He's done okay but not great so Mick has done okay or good so I would say they are pretty equal but Mick only had one and a half seasons so far and Antonio already had three seasons so when you look at Mick's uh, career in junior categories it was always the case that he needed a bit more time than than some other super talents but then the second year he was there so um, that's why I would definitely go with Mick and um, he seems to be a, a pretty nice guy to work with um, the team dynamics at Haas are always a bit, uh, because some people say it, it, it's not a fit between him and Günther, but if you think back, was it a fit between Günther and Romain Grandjean, fit between Günther and Kevin Magnus in the past? He's just, Does uh, anyone fit with Günther? <laughs> uh, I don't want to say anything bad about him because he's just um, so straightforward that in, yeah. in our modern world, uh, it sounds like every, everything he says sounds like a big argue, but it isn't meant to be like that. So um, that's why I wouldn't say that it's not working with him and Mick. It wasn't working with him and Romain. It wasn't working with him and Kevin in, in the past as well. And Kevin is still at the team or again at the team. So Yeah, and, and Gunter is a straight shooter, isn't he? And I think if you're not performing as a driver, he says things that you don't want to hear. And in the press conference earlier this weekend, he said, yes, Mick has been really good at three races this year. Yeah, actually, I had a one-to-one -one interview with him on Thursday. And he said, we are, before making our decision, we want to know how good you know, Mick is, like w what is his ultimate ceiling? And he said, at the moment, I, I don't know if it's Silverstone, Austria or Canada, for sure. But then if it's uh, Monte Carlo or Jeddah, it's, it's below average. I guess his qualifying this weekend was great. He, his race was, you know, 
let's say, unraveled after that poor pit stop for, from yeah, Hap. So it's very he, hard. He was, he was longer in the pits than in the points. Exactly. At least, you know, Carlos Sainz had a longer pit stop, so maybe he can take some solace in that. Or Yuki Tsunoda for half a minute in, in there doing whatever. But for Mick, let's say they are less talented drivers on the grid at the moment than Mick. So I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he, you know, if he stays. So the top 10 looks like this. Max Verstappen wins at home for the second year in a row, his 10th win of this 2022 season. George Russell's second, his best result of the season so far. And Charles Leclerc is third, his first podium since the Austrian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton was fourth, Sergio Perez fifth, Fernando Alonso sixth, making it 10 points finishes in a row for him. Lando Norris seventh, Carlos Sainz eighth, Esteban Ocon ninth in the second Alpine. And Lance Stroll rounded out the top 10 in 10th place. We don't have much time to breathe before the next race. It's the third race in this triple header. We're going to Monza in Italy. Christian, what happens for you between now and then? <laughs> um, <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> uh, because I'm going back to my hometown for one day and there is a nice festival. It's very similar to Oktoberfest. It's called Duld. That sounds fun. What's going on in the Biot household? Well, it's <laughs> I'm coming back home to see my lovely wife and my lovely daughter, who is uh, 13 months. I've actually I was actually on uh, on parenting leave for the past uh, eight months, so this was my first race uh, back. So I miss them dearly. I'm going to give them a big kiss, and uh, and Jean-Michel, my lovely colleague from Auto Hebdo, will take over for for Monza, where I'm sure there'll be uh, many more stories to uh, to decipher and to go through. And a Max Verstappen victory again, or can Ferrari do anything about them? I remember that uh, 2019 uh, Charles Leclerc victory at Monza. That was so great. Uh, so I, I hope for Ferrari and for Formula One that uh, that Ferrari does well uh, on their own soil, because just like here is a tremendous atmosphere. When you go at Monza and you see all the tifosi and then Ferrari is doing well, this is this is something as a fan you should experience. Ferrari, Monza. Uh, it's going to be a difficult one, I guess. If you look at Spa, um, they weren't great there. But then Spa is always about the compromise between drag and downforce. For, for Sector 2, you need the downforce. They will definitely put on the, the, the smaller wing, but I'm uh, convinced that it won't be great for them. Uh, the Red Bull will be pretty strong there. I think I all roads lead to Red Bull at Monza, don't they? Alpine have a strong engine. They were pretty good at Spa, if I, as far as I can remember. So, so simulation, say Fernando P7, and Fair. he will. No, he will be P3. P3, yeah, exactly. Probably, it will be the best race of his career. Let's hope the race at Monza is as exciting as what we've seen here at Zandvoort this weekend. And we will, of course, be back on Monday, the 12th of September, to bring you all of the news from the paddock uh, at Monza. And thank you to Julian and to Christian and to Allard as well for their input this week. It's been fabulous. And thank you to you at home for listening as well. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.